0: Now, out the matter of us pulling it all together to like the whole joint and, and putting on what i think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport
1: yeah we'll be honest with ourselves next week as usual and say okay it's a stonking result but what could we have done better
0: finding that passion for racing again you know stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because i love
2: racing cars and i love competing and that's really what's changed this year hi everyone welcome to inside supercars shane van gisbergen from the red bull holden racing team here Welcome
3: to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Revelle as we get read, ready for the tail and bend round, the return for their second go at the uh, the bend. Craig, you must be looking forward to uh, getting back to that track.
4: Yes, I am. It's going to be interesting to see how a year's development on the circuit has turned out for um, not only the series, but also for the track itself and seeing the modifications they ma- they've they made. I know you got there. Uh, for the TCR event and I'm looking forward for uh, this weekend
3: biggest thing that you'll see is this grass there real grass growing and it was interesting because uh, Thomas Randall in a conversation that you'll listen to later on um, but in a conversation with Thomas Randall made me aware about how last year that people were just uh, throwing mud up short cutting corners and throwing mud up on the track taking out the grass that was there um, which probably won't happen this year. It probably won't mean that the mud will go up there because there's proper grass there sort of thing. So that's interesting in itself. But some big news around the series. Big news is almost as uh, Sean Seamus stocks maybe seem to be dwindling a bit at times. It seems there's a lot of people wanting to say maybe not uh, great things about him as the CEO of supercars. But uh, an ex-supercars CEO has just landed a very big job, his biggest job ever, as the uh, new Managing Director of uh, Seven West Media, which is uh, tremendous for the series. I'm, I'm really pleased with James Warburton. He's one of only a few people I think has been terrific in the job. He brought sort of clout to the series, and where several of his predecessors were pretty unsuccessful, he brought some, uh, some real good news around the series. So it's great for him. I'm really pleased that uh, he's been able to land such a job, as uh, Tim Warner was showing the door, and in came James Warburton, who had worked for for Seven before. So he was uh, the CEO of Supercars 13 to 17, 2017, and that's fantastic uh, for the series. But a lot of things happening around the series at the moment. Uh, You almost feel that um, there's something bubbling, don't you, uh, Craig, uh, for the next year?
4: Well, there's definitely things bubbling. The calendar... Well, it still, as we speak, hasn't been announced. The dr- The team owners, are, from my understanding, not being given the whole story because there's been too many leaks. So whether they've been briefed ahead of the bend will be something that'll be interesting to follow up.
3: Now, there have been some fantastic news just recently. One of the big ones was the announcement of another wildcard for Bathurst. It probably is only Bathurst, I'm- like um, the, uh, the uh, Kosteki brothers, who'll be, uh, well, it's not my brothers racing, it's cousins, in fact, uh, Jake and Brad, um, that uh, joining them in ZB Commodores are the uh, Andretti IndyCar drivers, James Hinchcliffe. Well, no, James, is James an Andretti driver? No, he's not, is he? But uh, exactly he's
4: right, he Arrow Schmidt, which I think has a link to Andretti.
3: Okay. Well, that's fantastic news to have a genuine pair of stars from the North Hemisphere. They're coming from open wheelers, but I'm sure they'll adapt pretty quickly. They're both fast drivers. They've won races in IndyCars, and so it's uh, pretty terrific them coming down here. It just adds a little bit more intrigue and certainly will uh, probably add quite a few thousand uh, American and North American viewers to the uh, broadcast. So that's good news. Lots well, of interesting little things happening in the background. Um, The uh, Walkinshaw Andretti uh, used a spare chassis to test, on behalf of the supercar's technical, uh, the potential 2020 engine spec, which uh, uses a a drive-by-wire throttle system. John Martin and Jack Perkins doing the driving. So that's probably the same chassis that will be used for the uh, Bathurst Wildcard for uh, Andretti drivers. Um, That was great news. And then, of course, the the big one was uh, for... Tail and Bend. There's a fifth Mustang being rolled out by Tickford, and we got to uh, chat with Thomas Randall. He was one of uh, the other four drivers as well down at uh, Winton, having a test last week. Kelly Brothers is also Kelly uh, Brothers uh, Racing. Not called Kelly Brothers Racing, of course, but the Kelly uh, Race Team. They uh, took their four cars there also, along with Macaulay Jones. So there's been plenty of testing, getting ready for. Tail Bend and the Enduros uh, coming up, mm. which is uh, really interesting. And I suppose it's opportune that we uh, uh, have a, a listen to Chris Wilson this week because uh, he's a man who knows the commercial game world, doesn't he?
4: That's right, and he talks about drivers that he's worked with and how a commercial manager works with drivers. He talks about the business of getting and keeping partnerships on cars across the the many teams that he's worked with, having uh, been at three teams, and three teams at different stages of their fortunes as well. So it's an interesting chat we've had with Chris Wilson from DGR Team Penske. And also interesting to see that Richie Stanaway has got the all clear and will be coming back for GRM.
3: They gave certainly Richie Stanaway the test because... Uh, Gary Rogers said, well, if you're going to race for us, you may as well try one of these 5000s out. So they gave him a real test with a neck strain, you know. I mean, quite extraordinary that uh, but I suppose in many ways, if you're going to you know, want to drive one of our cars, we want you to know that we you can do the job. Which uh, brings up the subject of uh, Super 5000s. Um, fantastic news because when they make their debut at Sandown, which is in September in a couple of weeks' time, um, that... Uh, they are rolling out with um, Rubens Barrichello climbing into one of their cars, which is just wonderful news for the series. I mean, a genuine ex-Formula 1 driver who has won races. I think he's finished second in the championship in Formula 1 to Schumacher maybe. But uh, there's potentially up to 14 cars going to appear at uh, Sandown. So that uh, really, really bodes well for that series. Kicking off with a real uh, style and grace, don't you think?
4: It's going to bring a lot of interest internationally, and hopefully, uh, having the likes of Ruben and uh, and the other cars on the grid will then foster more interest in it. So that GRM can build a few more, and we have some, some you know, really, really solid grids for the S five thousands.
3: Indeed. All right, well, after the break, we'll have Chris Wilson, who is the Commercial Manager at DJR Team Penske, uh, a long-time friend of both of us and of the show, and uh, it'll be really interesting to hear what he's got to say on Supercars
0: and Beyond in 2019.
1: for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. If there actually needs to be inside a Inside
0: Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
4: Dick Johnson from
0: DJI Team Fenske...
4: And you're on Inside Supercar. Chris Wilson, commercial manager at DJR Team Penske. It's interesting you've had this role for quite some time now, but you've also had a lot of these types of roles up and down pit lane. And I was interested to find out how the commercial manager and the commercial business of
1: supercars has changed over... What is it, 15 years? Uh, yeah, 17th season this season, actually. So, yeah, I've been at a couple of the different teams. I worked down for Stone Brothers for, for a long time. That's where I got my start. I, uh, I come out of sponsor land for Stones, if you like. My background was actually IT, more in a people role. So Ross brought me on board there to be involved and look after the Ford dealer network in the early stages and then threw into the, the commercial manager position. Um, I was down there selling shirts and hats and all sorts of things. Everyone rolls up their sleeves and, and puts multiple, multiple roles and, and tasks. So, and then all the way through, I worked a year there at Walkinshaw. After leaving uh, Stones there when Timmy Slade and, and the Rosenberg licence went to Walkinshaw for a fourth car. And then uh, did a year there before heading over here when DJR and Team Penske come together. I, I spoke to the guys here and have been there here ever since. This is the fifth season here with these guys now, which is great. So.
4: What's been the, the biggest change in, in the commercial space for a supercar team?
1: Yeah, look, I think um, it's funny because there's, there's obviously change and transition, but it's sort of one of those things where it, the wheels turn and it all sort of comes back around as well. So, you know, you've seen uh, GFCs in that time, virtually the time that I really become responsible as the commercial manager at Stoney's. We were faced with 2007 into 2008 with GFC. Um, where things got a little bit different in the in the business landscape um, obviously everyone looked at their their marketing spend and things like that and where they were, were looking at that space how business can be more efficient etc etc so it become a, a lot more of a, a um, data driven industry I guess so back in the day there you obviously sold to someone they love to see their sticker on the car and love to come along to the racetrack you usually find someone within a business that championed um, the love of motorsport, and, and therefore, sort of really championed internally that role. Whereas these days, you, you're going into a boardroom, you, you're obviously talking to a marketing team, up into senior management, um, you know, in through sales managers with marketing managers into uh, into the director level and, and management managing directors, and it's a lot of data that you need to provide around it. We we compete on that stage really. Uh, in with the major footy codes and all the other sports in Australia. That's a complex landscape. But I think, uh, yeah, literally the the, the data and the detail they go into, they look at it from multiple angles now. The sticker on the car is still an important part. We brand very well and we do that quite strong around motorsport. But it's the other elements to it, the activation and understanding that, grabbing data, driving sales, B2B sales, as well as that B2C side, they really want to see a genuine return on investment in multiple, multiple facets and areas now. So.
4: I, I should say, B2B, business to business. B2C is business to customer. customer. Correct. Correct, Certainly at Stones, during that Pertec time, that was a huge B2B. And whilst for Pertec, it was a big brand recognition that really helped lift their profile because of the success, when they pulled out, They had a dealer network that was screaming Blue Murder, and I'm not sure if that was just before you got there or not, but that was uh, an awkward time for the Pertec guys because they probably didn't appreciate that B2B side as clearly as what uh, you guys might have or uh, even the appreciation of it, how important it was across the board.
1: Yeah, I was there at that stage. Pertec Racing was obviously quite a big name. It sort of, I guess, made Pertec, especially around motorsport fans, a bit of a household name. Um, definitely the franchise network was right behind it. They had great success. I know that we, uh, we have, we're fortunate enough to have Pertec as one of our partners here at DJ Team Penske and it's, it's fantastic to have those guys back on board and still work within that. We do meet all the franchisees to date here. They still talk about those glory days but are quite happy to be where we are right now. So they're a, a good engaged group, definitely.
4: And probably highlights how different you can approach the game and approach getting the sticker on the car, if you like.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's still still around your networks. You know, the the, the cold call um, is a hard part of the, of the commercial side of it, but usually not one of the most successful. It's usually through somebody you know, through a business introduction or, uh, or, or, or a personal network introduction that you know yourself to get a bit of a lead in and, and at least open that door before, as I say, then it's off data and off all the return on objective and return on investment pitch that you put forward to them around around supercars?
4: The Tony Cochrane era, and certainly Tony and Wayne Caddick, they had a very, very clear agenda that we have to race in front of people and we have to have eyeballs at the track and that meeting, that that face-to-face time with, with people, whether they be the punter or the corporates. Mm. Then that has shifted, but it seems to me like it is back to face-to-face contact now being a more critical can you talk about that and talk about the, the data factors
1: that that drives yep, yep well Tony used to call it the sizzle so there was sizzle in racing uh, around around supercars v8 supercars back then um, so the sizzle in it but you know at the core of it all is the fan um you know the 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 corporates and the businesses that are involved in supercars sponsoring teams sponsoring the series tv companies that are involved etc it's all to engage with the fan base the fan base are hopefully their customers or if not they want them to be their customers so the activity around it the sizzle the access to the drivers all the benefits we put into a sponsorship program partnership program around leveraging that b2c so giving them that data around who our fan base is the eyeballs the attendees but not just that, breaking it down into demographical information, geographical information, psychographic information on how they choose to purchase, how their their uh, consideration is for sponsor brands, etc., is all part of it. So the focus has been put back on the fan. I guess it's no different to... You know, you used to talk about product marketing. These days, we don't develop a product and try and sell it to a a customer. You understand your customer and then try and sell a product that fits that customer. I guess Supercars has probably gone through similar in the marketing strategy that you really have a look at the fan that's out there and, and know that fan and what, what they like to see and what they like to do. The access in supercars is probably the one of the biggest, strongest sell points we talk about. We get great media coverage uh, through all the traditional forms, social media and things like that now, and everything like that brings it closer to the fan and the fan at the racetrack. You know, you can't beat them. If they want to get Scotty McLaughlin McLachlan or Fabian Coulthard's autograph, if you're coming to a race, you pretty much can get that, whereas you got to one of the major ball sports and you want to get one of the key players autographs you're probably not going to be that lucky there's it's a really small group so our access here is our winner and that's a fan focus i think djr has probably been one of the teams that's always really had that there to the core of what they do you know coming here and seeing the way that the fan base still react around dj is uh is pretty amazing obviously from the outside you see it but when you see it inside it's um it's something to behold there's Pretty much uh, anywhere and everywhere that Dick goes, he's getting stopped by somebody who recognises him and wants to meet him. But fans is at the core, I think. So,
4: When you started putting props out, how, how detailed and, you know, was it a five-page prop for a, a sponsorship deal? And now, because of the sort of data and matrices that you're trying to tailor to each potential partner, how, how much bigger is this document?
1: Yeah, it, it depends. Um, essentially, it's the same as what I say. We go, same as what we're talking about with the customer, finding the product that fits for that customer group that you've got. So when I go to a, when we go to a potential partner, or a prospect, you know, you start talking to them. There isn't even a document in front of you first up. You might have had an introduction overview of your team and, and a little bit of the supercars landscape. But essentially, you're going to go there and find out what it is that they would look for in such a sponsorship, who they market to, who their customer base is, maybe where they're located, et cetera. So you, you'll, you'll grab a lot of information off them before you put a proposal together, and that would all be, be based around what sort of detail they need to see. So when they tell you who their customer is, where they're located, how they buy them, how they go to market, how they do their own marketing already, because really you want to integrate with a lot of that stuff, then you'll build, build your prop based off that. But yeah, you, you can get quite heavy when it comes to the data, that's for sure.
4: And you're now going to a boardroom where the person... Who might have been the driver before, the CEO that was at the racetrack and said, Oh, speak to such and such in my company? You know, walking into that boardroom with six or seven marketing executives, all that are going to have the ultimate say.
1: Yeah, and that's where the data's important. You know, they're going to question you and they're going to want to know specifics about your fan base, specifics about your event attendance, and your TV coverage, and your your media values, and and how you go about, um, you know, attract behind the scenes experiences and things like that you're going to have to have all that information on hand. So I guess that being being armed with that info is the important bit and being able to um, find it if, if you don't have it so you can, you can chase that down and be able to answer the questions that come at you because obviously they're a lot more savvy in where they spend their money now. So.
4: Now, supercars generate a lot of this, but how much do you have to generate separate to what the supercar package is?
1: Yeah, we, we do a lot ourselves. We engage um, one, of the, one of the research companies to do all that sort of stuff for us on, on media valuations as well as insights into the fan base. Um, when it comes to that, we have a, a, a staff member on board that is dedicated to our social media, for example, that pulls reporting off that. So, you know, you can find out the interactions your fans have with content, what type of content works, etc. So lots and lots of info there that um, Supercars will provide. We then uh, chase ourselves through an independent company and then also internally drawing reports up as well so
4: over the years ebbs and flows with you know the financial uh, ebbs and flows of the country but i know there was a period in the sport probably just before the GFC where i was speaking to people in your role who were saying we're doing a lot more activations off the track but you know like you have done this week we're at queensland and you've done a an event at a local service station and then done some other uh, events in and around partnerships that you have with companies but away from the track because the cost of doing corporate at the track was becoming prohibitive is that still the case or is that uh, has has that sort of righted itself
1: Oh, again, it depends on the activity, and usually you'll do something. So if we do it here at the track, you've obviously got to factor in cost, and it's, it's that return. So, you know, if, you, if you've got it at a racetrack where there's a big fan base and it's a, a pit stop challenge, for example, and, the, and, the, and there's a, a big event attendance and the numbers come through, then that works. Um, something like a Shell, service, Shell Coles Express service station price drop, couldn't do that one at the track, but it was a, a huge event for us. So when we come into market, you know, into a race event, be at Townsville, Darwin, or or all around the country. We're usually in the space two or three days before the race event starts, and obviously the race event usually starts on the Friday. So from the, the Tuesday, Wednesday on, we're in we're in town, and we're running around with uh, different all sorts of different sponsor activities, and and usually, obviously, as we say, involves the the customer access to the drivers there as part of what we do. So when you
4: are so active in that space, and particularly away from race weekend itself. We hear about bringing costs down and trying to uh, find some savings available. But do you look at an activation like that as a cost to business, or is that
1: a revenue driver? Mm. Yeah, and it depends. It may be included in the, in the sponsorship package, or it may be at the sponsor cost to run something like that. So it depends on the exercise, and after all of them, you're sitting down and reviewing you know, you look at what the outcomes were, what the objective was to start with and what did we, you know, what did we hit? Even the ones that are a success, you want to make them better next time too. So, yeah, there is definitely scrutiny. Under everything it is you're doing, there's that scrutiny and that data that will come for that for you to sit down. So, you know, sponsor contact. There's lots of, lots of contact with our partners to talk not only about the partnership as an overall, you know, um, but also individual activities and individual race events, et cetera.
4: Now, you've worked in teams like Stone Brothers where they had a strategy where each car was a different business, if you like, a different sales proposition. You're working now in what is clearly a two-car operation. How does that make it easier or harder to sell?
1: Yeah, sometimes it's down to opportunity. So when we were at Stones, obviously we were a, you know, a, still a ford back team, but it's a, a small private operation, I guess, the two brothers, uh, you'd sell off the back of of, of that team's attributes. Um, we had two tool companies there at the end. Obviously, the early being SP Tools and Irwin Tools. The early days there was uh, was good with Pertec and Caltex, um, but two different two different cars. It's a balance. It's a balance on the track and off the track. You've got two sides of the garage with two different colour shirts on. We're all one team, but but you're not one team, I guess. Um, you know, you're double checking everything that's at. You've got to make sure that it all balances up. Whereas the two car two-car uh, program we've got here with, with the shell v-power racing team you know everyone's in the same uniform the branding is strong really strong there's a big positive when it comes to that both cars on the racetrack uh, are really really all they brandished in the same same gear um, so it's, you're out there from a from an on track and off track you, you, you're rooting for the same same team if you like it makes it a a better proposition and was a stronger proposition but then again obviously that's 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 in line with the investment level as well so the difficulty around the the two car model you know if one car was out on lap two at Bathurst that's a long day for that other brand I guess whereas in this one here we've got two cars out there to to go and attack if it is a million dollars to get a naming right on a
4: car and I'm picking a million dollars just as a number not A factual figure is it two million dollars for two cars or is there economies of scale because you don't have to take as many panels because you don't need them liveried up the two different ways you don't need as many shirts and merch is a bit easier not that anyone does that anymore but
1: i guess in a and i'm obviously the commercial side of it bringing the 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 money in if you like the the race team side of it there from an engineering and, and mechanical side that's where it goes out. Knowing what I know about that, there are there are economies of scale to that for sure. On my side, where the money's coming in, I sort of don't look at that cost, if you like, as much. Um, it more is I know what a base that we need. And then on top of that, we're applying whether there's corporate hospitality and ticketing included, whether there's activation included. So it's from my model, it's a, it's a bit different. But, you know, there is economies of scale of having a one-car team to a two-car team. So, yeah, there should be should be something in it there. But it depends what the package is made up with.
4: So there's no... It's not 1.8 for two, but if you had brand X on this car and brand Y on the other car, it's $1 million. Yeah, yeah
1: one plus one doesn't equal three if you like always it just depends on the on the model and that's that's comes back to that that first question about the prop one of the early questions there about the prop i guess it's completely dependent on what they want out of it so you know shell viva energy are, are quite um active when it comes to corporate hospitality so there's and and as we said activation so there's all sorts of other things that go into that budget but from an operational budget which is the other side of the business to me but from that operational budget yeah there's definitely economies of scale
4: in theory though what you bring in is what they can spend.
1: Yeah, correct, correct. So there is that base to cover, but we, um, we, we shoot for the sky, I guess, when it comes to that side of it. You, you're trying to um, generate as much revenue as you can because, um, as one of my old bosses always told me, when you've got engineers, they'll always find a way to engineer something else a little bit more. So uh, I guess they're pretty good at spending it on that side.
4: While merchandise is still widely available for teams, that has been a a big change hasn't it because i think at one stage stones were making a lot more out of merchandise than stickers
1: yeah i had a couple of years where i spent uh some some weeks away in china looking through chinese factories there as they produced our merchandise Um, but these days most of the teams again push into that space where we focus on how we make the cars go faster and Talk to specialist companies who look after that side of it as well. So, majority of the teams these days do operate with a third party that specialises in merchandise um, and apparel. A lot of those companies then look in turn to other motorsport industries or, or football codes, etc., that they work in. So, yeah, experts. Does that mean that
4: there's a drop in that income because you're now only getting a licensing fee as opposed to?
1: risk and reward of running it yourself? Yeah, exactly. Risk and reward's exactly what you'd say. You know, these guys take more of the risk in holding the stock and paying for it early out of, out of China, et cetera, for the, for the uh, you know, obviously the retail and all the cost that's involved in the site setups and the infrastructure itself. So that takes all that off us. So risk versus reward, yeah, there's there's less, I guess, that comes back to us. But when you're, when you're sitting at the top end of pit lane and you've got the, you know, the fans shelling out, to use a pun there, for, for your gear... Um, You know, it it seems like a good position to be in and you're selling plenty of shirts and hats. Sometimes when you're back in the field a little bit, it's a bit tougher. So when you're not the expert in that, you know, sitting on a whole heap of stock can cost you a lot of money too. So I guess, as I say, putting it into an expert's hand where they're able to sort of monitor their stock levels. They got, you know, they might indent order two or three times a year. They can can control a lot of that stuff a lot better than what, what us as race teams did.
4: And to be honest, they probably have buying power because they're not just doing a race team, they're doing a whole bunch of properties.
1: Yeah for sure the the company that we use I think looks after three or four other teams here in the lane, never mind other sporting programs in AFL.
4: Drivers, how critical to a campaign and to your job is the driver ability to sell a product or a a ethos if you like?
1: Yeah well they're the star. Um, I think uh, you know, for us, I'm in the fortunate position where I've got Dick Johnson and Roger Penske as the two team owners who are icons in their own right. But to to be able to sit here and have Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard as the two drivers in our team, the two ambassadors for the brands that we work with, um, you know, it is, it is a key strength to having these guys. What they do on track has got to be good and great and, uh, and again, let the race team look after that. From my side of view, things what they do off track for us is is absolutely critically important you know they've got to represent the brands they've got to be able to you know work with the media they've got to have access to the fans and all those other things that we spoke about for sure
4: so when the when the time comes around and you've locked in your drivers for next year does does uh, the guys making the decision on Ryan and and the others have to come to you and go we want to do this deal with with Fabian, as was the case, how many? When we write this contract, how many days do you have to have him for to cover off your commitments?
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of that. They don't. They don't come to me with that t- type of uh, questions or information. Uh, essentially, it is decided there, like in any other business that would be decided at board. Then they'll come and tell us what's what's what what, we, what we've got, I guess. Um, and knowing and if that you've got a
4: contract in place that says you're going to have forty promotions yep. and I need to have 30, each driver has to commit to 30 of them yep. some are solo, some are double acts yep. um, if they do a contract that says a driver only has to do 20 mm. you're going to be in the hole
1: Yeah well again I'm quite fortunate with that that uh, you know, our, our guys know that there's a, there's a workload there and that expectancy so that the actual quantifiable that's in the driver's contract I'm not sure of but I know that it's covered for what we've got um, and when new partnerships come in um, we, we send all that through for approval, if you like, to what, we, what is our board or our ownership group um, and our commercial um, leader in the US there to sign all that off to ensure that it is inside that. Um, and that that's our existing and then obviously our new. So, yeah, you, you've got to make sure it fits, of course. Um, but in the same time, we know that what we've got to be able to deliver for our partners is deliver on that return. So the, the most important piece is to ensure delivery we we'll worry about the quantifiables on our side later, but it, it definitely is a factor, but it's not something that I come into. I report my info through. They make sure they measure all that stuff up at the top. You mentioned the
4: guys you're working now, they're experienced guys and have a good understanding of that part of the business. Over the years, you've worked with such a diverse group of drivers. Have you had to do a lot of coaching or have you had to suggest to them, hey, go and sit down with X you need to develop this school if you want to be a professional race driver
1: i thought for a minute you're going to ask me who was the worst and who's the best but i, no, I, I didn't know no, if you want to plant no, someone wouldn't, we wouldn't go that way we wouldn't go that way. know to be honest i, I have worked with a, with a few of them and um from my side of things i think the the biggest thing is it's it's communication it's understanding of what it is we're trying to do um, if they know what it is our, our partner wants and what's expected of them and I've communicated that through. Honestly, most of the guys that I've worked with down the lane are pretty good at that. I always uh, tell our partners when we talk about that side of things that you know these guys have come through from karting, where you know their parents have, have found a budget to go karting, and usually got a little bit of help from a a, a tool company or a tyre partner or an oil partner somewhere that's given them some product. These kids get to learn at an early stage that someone's helped them get into this space. Um, you know, I played footy as a kid myself not any good but dad bought a pair of boots and paid your registration fees and away you went this side has a commercial aspect to it even from day one because it's a high cost of entry so I think from a really early level they understand that then they've come through all their ranks and at each stage of that it becomes a bigger a bigger deal as does the the racing budget and I think that that understanding comes with that so it's sort of been incremental through their career That I find most of them are, are really good to work with and I, I genuinely believe that up and down the lane here. You got you got a great group of brand ambassadors. You can look in other sports and things like that. What's on back pages and go? Here's one of the here's one of them right now. That one there was one of the more difficult ones to work with. Nah, he was all right too.
4: And that was Shane van Gisbergen that just worked past. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we worked with him quite successfully there for many years at Stoneys with SP Tools and Ford. So Holden driver now, but anyway.
4: But uh, would has a team ever gone to to you or? to your team and gone we're thinking about driver x or driver y and you're going if you think they're both the same driver this one would be either the better fit for our partners now or the one that'll make it easier to get new partners or or get a sponsor in the future
1: yeah it was definitely more involved in that never in the decision itself at stones but more involved in that side of it ross ross would talk to me in confidence around who may we may have been looking at, and, and I'm always someone that's happy to give my two cents, I guess. Um, but here, here it's a little bit different. Um, the ownership group uh, and the experience that both here at DJR with with Ryan and Dick, and then the guys in the US, you know, Roger and Tim with Team Penske, and their decision-making process, it, it probably doesn't need someone else to throw their two cents in. And and you know, the the Penske Penske way with their drivers is to really ensure that. We've got a guy who's going to perform, or a girl, that's going to perform out on the racetrack as well as off the track. So that's a key piece to what they do anyway, so they pretty much cover that off for me.
4: But it's well known that it's not just the drivers that are vetted. Everyone in the team, when Roger came in, everyone basically reapplied for their job.
1: Yeah, it's a long process. Um, the saying goes that it's uh, it's tough to get in and even tougher to get out, so... You know, we um, we have multiple interview stages and obviously vetting of resumes and all those things before it. Everyone really has come through quite experienced and credentialed. There's a little bit of uh, in a few areas there where we've had apprentices or or younger guys who've just come out of um, the trade um, that we want to want to want to skill up. But for the most part, it's a pretty experienced group that have come through from the different areas there. But it is quite a long, lengthy uh, hiring process. And Always put your chair back in under the desk. Yeah, absolutely. Be respectful, tuck your shirt in and make sure you've had a show.
4: Chris, it's been great to catch up with you. It's been quite a, a wide-ranging discussion, but uh, we look forward to seeing how the Shell V-Power team manages through the rest of 2019.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
4: Cheers.
3: After the break, it's Thomas Randall telling us of his debut that's coming up at
0: Tail and Bend. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. you know. Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task.
3: Uh, we are able to beat the two-level two boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to, do, to um, take the win off uh, So him. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, representative family.
0: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm
1: Macaulay Jones. I'm from the Cool Drive Radio. Racing team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars.
3: Welcome to Inside Supercars. I'm here with Thomas Randall. Just days before his debut in the Virgin Australia Supercars Championship, got a brand new car, a remade, but it's a brand new car with Tickford. It's showing for the first time the colours. Um, you, you had your test day last week. Welcome, Thomas. It must have been very exciting.
2: Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. And look, the day was for sure very exciting and I think I, probably the the thing that um, surprised me the most was the response we got from from online and from everywhere regarding the look of the car and I think that was that was really cool though I probably only saw about two or three negative responses and the car ran faultlessly all day and it just felt like fitting in a in an old shoe and or an old glove because like you touched on it really that ac- that actual chassis is the same car I drove for my debut in uh, Dunlop Series last year, and then that was repaired after my crash at Adelaide, and yeah. then the car was bought by Phil, and now that's Phil's spare car, which he's been so kind enough to lend us that car for Taylor. Yeah,
3: okay. It must have been pretty thrilling last week because there was a dozen cars. It's half the field up at Winton, um, and it, I mean the great thing is Tickford's got such a diversity of colour range. You know, across uh, the super cheap car and the Will Davison, and uh, Milwaukee car, the Bottolo car, Cam's car, and then there's yours. Then you the got stadium. orange. Yeah. yeah, you go
2: from a black car to a green car, red and white car. Then you've got that multicolored super cheap car. Yeah. And now it's uh, a yeah, matte black on with orange. And yeah. I think <laughs> it seems if you if you want to make a good looking Mustang supercar, you just put matte black on it. but... <laughs> No, it, it came out really good, and uh, all, all five cars seem to go quite well on the test day. I mean, Winton is always a, a track, for a test track, you can't read too much into it, because normally, however you leave there with your car is not how it's going to respond yep. at another circuit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Talem's just going to be about just building, not from scratch, but uh, from, I guess, the program we've been running in Super 2. I mean, it's, we're going to be on the same tyre, the hard tyre, yep. um, which is, is great for me because instead of having to learn the super soft tyre as well as the competition, et cetera, et cetera I mean, we've get, we get three practice sessions. That additional driver's session, I can drive with my Mustang. Yep. So it's going to be an hour and a half's worth of practice before we even get to Saturday. So it's going to be plenty of track time.
3: Now, given it's a, a generation of body that's older... The controls and the, and the all that's inside
2: is not. No, exactly. No, everything inside is the same except, I mean, the, the little carbon dashboard, that represents a Mustang. <laughs> but in terms of driver seating position, it's actually, we've pulled the seat out of my Super 2 car and put that in here, and yeah, it's the same pedal box, gear sticks all in the same position. Ergonomics is, yeah. If you were to put a blindfold on hopping in the car, yeah. apart from the the bonnet, lining yep. you really wouldn't be able to tell the difference okay
3: and um just getting around to the driving the car at winter, i mean obviously you were very comfortable it's a track you know well um unfortunately you've been to taylor then, but you were in a very different car then yeah it tell was... us about that
2: <laughs> Yeah, so I, I was there actually for their debut race meeting or car race meeting. I think the motorbikes were there the week before. but Actually,
3: they had a push bike race. A push think.
2: bike race, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so that they didn't really clear the dust that much. Yeah. But, look, last year was very dusty for that first race. Uh, I actually went back there to watch the supercars race and helped someone in another category later in the year when the in August, I think it was, and the dust was nowhere near as bad. It was still bad, yeah. but we it was like we were in... Uh, dubai in in april uh, but i've been back there this year we took the sports sedan so that's a nearly 800 horsepower saab a full carbon fiber ma- massive rear tires and a lot of aero so we took that uh, there last year and again this year unfortunately we didn't actually get to do a race because something broke on the engine and we lost all pressure but even just to, just to get the laps i mean it's not like i'm going to a brand new circuit yeah um, but the dust certainly had settled a lot more i mean. Really, the track was... I don't think any dust was getting kicked up. So I think that'll be really good in terms of the racing and qualifying because we saw last year with the supercars, someone, for example, that fast sweeping turn five, if they dropped two wheels on the inside, they'd put dust on the circuit right. and then the next car coming through would spear off. And it even made the racing tough because if you, wanted to, if you had someone behind you and you wanted to um, not have that threat, you could literally just drop two wheels on the inside put dirt on the track and they'd no, run off people were do <laughs> doing that oh yeah God. yes tony so yeah. uh i think it'll be a lot better this year and it seems like the the shahins and all the, the track organizers have done stuff to prevent that from happening and i don't think s- the shahins really like anyone driving on their grass anyway so <laughs>
3: <laughs> well they planted grass seeds three times
2: three times was it? three
3: times wow. it wasn't until the third one that it took the previous two they were blown away and uh, a severe lack of water in the area I mean, you've only got to look around and see the trees
2: well, There if, aren't any Well, if you want water at a racetrack, hold a race meeting That's <laughs> when you get water, Tony
3: Yeah, so, I was there um, only a short time ago with the uh, TCR, I think they had a, a wet race That's right, that's when yes. we,
2: That's when the sports stands are there And yes. sure enough, yeah. it rained
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: So uh, I think it rained every day at some point Probably only
3: rains on the bitumen, not
2: on the grass That's correct, yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> That would make a lot of sense Okay,
3: so um, we've got the excitement of uh, Talon and bend and uh, the cars then go
2: to New Zealand.
3: That's um, correct. So they
2: fly to New Zealand. I first yep. thought they were going by boat but because uh, of a shortage of A380s.
3: stop the, the boats in
2: 05. Uh, yeah, that, was I didn't know whether that. because I, I thought there was a shortage of A380s, but uh, no, they're definitely going by plane and um, that'll give them enough time after that to get everything ready for, for Bathurst. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. And of course, that's where you jump in
2: in the Super Two. Yeah, definitely in the Super Two. Definitely in Super (laughs)
3: Two. Okay,
2: but uh, nothing confirmed as of yet in in supercars. Now, this
3: is your second year in Super Two. You're obviously enjoying that. I mean, there's a bunch of young guys who all have aspirations to do more things in it. Um, Given that there aren't many of them have actually driven in the main game, I mean, it must be give you a lot of confidence to race amongst people. You know what they're going to do because um, at times some of the guys in the back of the Super 2 pack are a bit erratic
2: yeah I mean this weekend's for my Supercars debut will be interesting because I've I've only driven against Gary Jacobson and Macaulay Jones I think they're the only drivers and Jack Smith yep so that, that will be a big learning curve to see what all the other drivers are like but in terms of Super 2 I think I've got a pretty good understanding of the, of the drivers around me and what they're like um, certainly when you're Normally, when you're up the front, you're out of the out of the, the wars. But at Adelaide, we were we were fourth and got taken out. So there's sometimes it's it doesn't always go your way. But I think Super Two at Bathurst, being that that mini enduro with a pit stop, it doesn't. I don't think it really matters where you qualify because yeah. it's the same thing as the Bathurst One Thousand. It doesn't no matter where you qualify there. I think the pole man in supercars. At Bathurst, the last maybe seven years has never gone on to win the race. Right. So, yeah. it's I know everyone wants to get pole there, and it would be it would be incredible to do that. But it doesn't does not guarantee you the win. Whereas somewhere like when we race Ipswich last round, being on pole or that front row certainly makes life a lot easier.
3: One of the things, if you were to get in a conversation with. Maybe not Jamie, but certainly Craig and maybe some of the older drivers, but the you know, ones who debuted last century, not this century. Okay, so, you That know, makes it's... me
2: feel... Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah. you
3: know, and the reason I say that is because I fully remember when the likes of Craig and Stevie Richards and those guys were debuting and it was still the era of owner-drivers the Brocks and the Johnsons were out there sort of thing, and that um, they didn't take kindly to these young brash young men arriving
2: well, it, probably, it probably hasn't changed No, no, it <laughs> this has, generation. it
3: has, because the majority of the field are young drivers, yeah. you know, okay, there's a couple of guys who are getting towards 40, but the majority of the field are, are young drivers who, you've all grown up in the same circumstances. you've all become very professional in the way in which you present yourselves, the way in which you act and that I think it must be a lot easier now. For instance, for for the guys who do the driver standards job now, compared to what it was,
2: you know, ten or twenty yeah. years ago. And certainly now they've got that Hawkeye system, yep. which I uh, I got the privilege of seeing yes. how that worked for the- my Townsville uh, dramas. There was no there's no escaping. Uh, any penalties when they've got that when they've got that system running up?
3: It's all part of the learning curve of life. That's
2: yeah. Craig Baird likes to say pretty much the same thing. So uh, yeah, look up. Yeah, it's going to be one one heck of a challenge. But like you said, I think uh, if you qualify, if I can qualify mid pack or something, I'm sure it would it would uh, upset those depending on who who's around me. But it's hard to have expectations because. I haven't raced against these guys i don't know what the what the competition is going to be like and i mean i know that this is one of the toughest touring car championships in the world aside from DTM. so one of the
3: terrific things is that you know with the exception of lee your other three teammates are all formula four champions they're all blokes who came through open wheelers so they're all people who aren't used to leaning on each other that's not their natural way to drive and that's the majority of the field there are there are very
2: few who didn't come up through open wheel ranks in supercars. Yeah, um, so that's to your benefit. Well, I think now. I mean, we had Richie in the team last year, and he he'd done more than just Formula Four. Yeah, he worked yeah, all yeah. out to, to GP two yeah. or Formula Two. So I'm I'd be the only one in on the team with proper wings and slicks experience. Yes. Um, as a TRS champion. As a TRS champion, yeah. And even after that, I did it. I got to do some. Well, prior to that, I actually did some World Series by Renault Races. I did I do two rounds, and look, it's, um, it's, uh, it's totally different in terms of the way you've got to lean on the tyre in the car. I mean, I'm now back. Last year in Super 2, I left foot braked, but this year I've switched back to right foot braking, and at the start of the year, Cam and I actually went over to England and saw Rob Wilson, yep. and well, that was a fantastic experience. So much to learn from Rob, and he, he sees... Over half of the Formula 1 grid, current Formula 1 grid. Yeah. So it's been a, a big change for me, but in terms of driving the car, I feel a lot more comfortable with that right foot braking. And there's even guys in supercars now, I don't know, Fabian Coulthard left foot brakes, and a lot of the new guys that have come in, left foot brake, and they're actually all switching back to right foot braking. So even yeah. though it's a bit of an ancient technique, that's what these cars like.
3: Oh, just thinking of that briefly. have you seen where... Uh Rubens Barrichello is coming to
2: uh, make his debut in Super 5000. I have Say seen that. that. Yeah, that's going to... I mean, that's how long has it mega. been since he's driven a Wings and Slicks car?
3: A few years, but he's been doing some other stuff since. Yeah. Um, but, uh, fantastic. I mean... I he would th- be
2: racing in I think he was racing in Brazilian stock cars, wasn't he?
3: I think so. Um, I'm confusing with Philip who Of course, he does Formula E, so that's not him. Um, but, yeah, uh, Ruben. I first uh, didn't meet Ruben Barrichello, but had conversations with him back in 85 in Adelaide when he was down uh, driving. I don't know whose car in Formula 1 he was driving, but it wasn't a footwork, but uh, he was certainly there. Um, the other thing that was interesting, that you um, should have a conversation
2: about Richie about driving the uh, Super 5000. Yeah, he got to drive it on, uh, was it on Wednesday? or th- you, Wednesday, I think. Yeah, you were there on Tuesday. I Tuesday. Oh, sorry, yeah. Thursday. He drove it on Thursday. Yep. Interesting way, after his... Um, what he had been going through with his neck, which I can't begin to imagine the pain yeah. that he's been going through. It's interesting that they th- they throw him straight in the deep end, back yes. into a, a single seater. Prove yourself, prove yourself. I mean, it seemed like that was that went all okay for him. So if he can handle an F five thousand on the neck, I'm sure he can handle a supercar on yeah. the neck. Yeah.
3: Could, if the opportunity came up, would you be interested in jumping into one of those cars? Oh, definitely.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, you wouldn't have driven something with much, as much power in a wheel, four hundred. Maybe. I've driven 600 horsepower. Oh, okay. Yeah, in the, the 3.5s, they're about 600 horsepower. Oh, okay, right. So oh, well, that's definitely the ballpark. Right? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're pretty. I mean, they would have the S5000s would have less aero than the yeah. World Series yeah. car. Yeah. So I think that's that's the way they've intended to design okay. them.
0: So, All
3: right. um, so uh, this weekend, debut in the main game. Get ready for Bathurst then, and. Um, Will you have a test day in your Super 2 before Bathurst?
2: Yeah, so we're going to have a test day, I believe, on the 26th of September. Okay. And then the team are running another test day at the beginning of October, but our next Super 2 test day will be at the end of September, which will be good because that's that's still a focus of mine, obviously, and even though the the championship looks pretty far-fetched, I mean, I think it's, I'm over a round behind in points, but... That first one race, you never know. Booker. You never know if 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 Bryce were to DNF that race, yeah, uh, and we were to finish well, that brings us right back in the ballpark.
3: Um, the interesting thing is because both of those Matt White cars, the Mr Ultimates, in both he and uh, oh, Zane Goddard, have both been
2: very quick all year.
3: Hey, do you see any particular strength where that that car has it over
2: yours? Well. <laughs> To be honest, I think their one lap pace has been very strong. Yep. Um, so to get up the front. Yeah their, their, yeah, their qualifying performance has been really good. I mean, Zane double double at Perth, yeah. and Bryce hasn't qualified out of the top four all year, right. and that's that's what's put him in good stead. And even you know, I think their 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 tire degradation has been quite good. Yes. And which is important for us because we don't have any pit stops, and the races uh, can. Of You know, 20 laps, which is nearly a stint in supercars. So it seems to be where the, where the strengths are. I mean, I think, I think... I don't know whether it's a quite a forgiving car or not, but you rarely see... Bryce is certainly a very good driver, very capable, and he's... A, he, at the moment, he deserves to, to be leading the championship. The
3: interesting thing is, particularly he, but even Zane as well, weren't really anywhere before they got in those listens. And certainly, yeah. whether it's their driving suitors of the car or whether the car is that much better. Because, I mean, I know the Kellys who built the cars would love to be having <laughs> this sort of success.
2: Well, people do have asked, why isn't Matt, Wright, Matt White running those cars in, in the supercars? But they de- They definitely have those cars sorted in the Super 2. Yeah. Um, but Bryce has been... I think this is his fifth year now in Super 2. And, look, it, sometimes... It, just in the right place for, at the right time and yeah. that's yeah. that seems to be the case with himself and Zane, you know, Zane last year seemed to struggle in, in that uh, Holden, in the Commodore and Bryce sw- actually switched cars halfway through the year last year, I think he went from the Ford to the Holden Yes, and now he's gone to a Nissan so um, I think well, he'd be very happy with his decision being that yeah. right and yeah, he's led from from basically day one this Man. year
3: matt's a highly experienced uh, race team owner for many years I, know, I think for some considerable time he was the most experienced super two driver having started back in the conic days. so uh, anyway um thomas i mean uh, fantastic uh, we look forward to seeing him. we won't actually be able to see the highlights we'll just have to i mean we will only see the highlights you'll just
2: have to call me and ask me how it
3: I, I will indeed yeah. and i'll make sure we do but best of luck at tail and bend i'm sure it'll be a great time and as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm going to be going to Bathurst this year, so I look forward to... Many conversations during that weekend, so good luck at Taylor and Ben to Thomas Randall.
2: Thank you, Tony. I'll see you at Bathurst.
0: After the break, we'll be back with our final thoughts on Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year
1: in Formula 3, I think, it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops, such as the yeah, Supercars in Australia, is where i see myself.
0: Second crack at the Australian times, it's where have been back. And a bit unlucky. the first time that we ended up with a win there at the Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome to Inside
4: Supercars. This is Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske. Enjoy the show.
3: Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig, your final thought for this week's Inside Supercars.
4: My final thought is that the calendar still not done is indicating that there's still a fair bit of debate at uh, the board level about how this series is going to develop. On Inside Motorsport this week, we heard from Alan Gow, who said he runs his series as a dictatorship. I'm wondering at the moment in supercar land is it once again being decisions by committee uh, since there's not uh, appearing to be that strong, you know, decisive leader that is just saying it's my way or the highway?
3: Yeah, it certainly does uh, look like the series needs stronger leadership than is currently being had, but uh, so much for that. But um, my final thought revolves around Thomas Randall, who's a delightful young man. I haven't known him many years, but... uh, Couldn't be a better time for him to be making his debut. Of course, Jack Smith is going to be back in a Brad Jones car in uh, a tail and bend. And uh, Thomas comes off uh, another pole position and uh, another win this time without any penalties. So um, he's uh, in great shape in his second year in Super 2 to be uh, stepping up to the main game. And uh, we wish him very well for a great weekend in the South Australian track. So that's all from... This week on Inside
0: Supercars. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.